0: Hello, it's Tuesday, February the 22nd, and this is the Andrew Pearce Show, coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. coming up. Should you call the police if you see parents hitting their own children? If you should, they'd have been called a lot of times when I was growing up. I'm talking to the chairman of the Strategic Review of Policing in England and Wales, which shows how the police, frankly, are years out of date in the way they're approaching crime. And as 24 of our leading universities build up a cash mountain of £2.2 billion during the two years of the pandemic, I'm talking to a leading academic who says, Oi, give some of that money back to the students who've had to be taught online. But first, after Putin sent in so called peacekeeping troops into two parts of the Ukraine, I'm talking to a leading MP from the Ukraine, who tells us what Boris Johnson can do, so good so far, he says, but there's a lot more Britain can do to try to repel Putin's troops. (laughs) The Russian President Vladimir Putin has ordered troops into two rebel-held regions in eastern Ukraine. He's recognised them as independent states. He says they're going in as peacekeepers, but nobody is fooled. Germany has halted the approval of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline to Russia and the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has announced sanctions against five banks and three named individuals. I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line now by the leading Ukrainian MP Oleski Goncharenko. Mr. Goncharenko, are these sanctions from Germany with the Nord Stream gas pipeline the Prime Minister in Britain uh, putting sanctions on five banks and named individuals. Will these help very much?
1: Certainly. Hello, thank you very much for covering the situation. But only one thing I want to tell you that today's regions are not rebel-held. They are occupied by Russian Federation from 2014. But before they were saying that it's not them, but it was a just false flag operation. Now they're just changing the flag and showing their truth. Face. That's what's happening. But it, uh, it's a very serious violation of international law, and it means that the borders of any country in the world, any state in the world, are safe. So that's very important that the world should react. Speaking about the first reaction, uh, we are thankful for first sanctions, but it should be only the first step. Because speaking about the UK, it's very good to sanction some Putin's friends, but believe me, it's not enough to, to stop Putin and to. to, to to make him real pain, so the story about Nord Stream 2 is much, much more powerful, and I appreciate the decision of the German government, and I hope it will be the final decision, and they will not change their mind uh, in future, because that is really something very important for people.
0: What, what else can Britain do? Because we know there is a lot of what we call dirty Russian money sloshing around in banks in London. Is that, Mr. Goncharenko, what the British government should target?
1: I think yes, because uh, the targeting this uh, big laundry of money in London uh, that is uh, many aims achieved and it's punishment of Putin's regime and it's fight against corruption. So it is in favour of... Uh, now, all people, is both in the UK and in Ukraine and in whole Europe. Uh, and certainly, I think much more what is very important is sectoral sanctions against Russian economy, uh, sanctions which will stop transfer of technologies and, fin- and stop of, uh, sort of financing of Russian economy from the United Kingdom. That can be really very uh, fruitful and helpful.
0: Can I can I ask you as well? um, The troops Putin has moved into the states which he has now recognised. There is still a substantial Ukrainian military presence in those two states. Is he seeking to provoke, in your view, the the Ukrainian army to retaliate? Is that what he's trying to do?
1: He's provoking all the time, and uh, uh, last time, uh, last uh, days, that is extremely many provocations and uh, that military troops they are, uh, crossed the Ukrainian border in 2014 so uh, our troops are in contact with them and uh, fighting with them for 8 years already so yes probably he's making new provocations but I feel and I believe that it, he will see the uni- unity of the western world around uh, uh, defending of international law And high moral of Ukrainian society, he will not go further, and he will, and he can't be stopped. The question is only that, like he's a Hitler of 21st century, so he needs to see the strength and not appeasement.
0: And just on that, finally, I know you're very busy, and you have, and and it's a very tense time for you. Uh, NATO, the United Nations, there's been unanimous international condemnation because these two states are recognised internationally as Ukrainian. Uh, he'd already been in there for, what, eight years already. He's now piled in even more troops.
1: Yes, uh, we have a support of international community and only as I... It's Syria, Bashar Assad, Venezuela uh, and Nicaragua that's the only countries uh, which accepted uh, uh, this recognition, so-called. Because it's not a recognition, it's just an act of aggression against Ukraine and uh, what is very important it's a unilateral um you know, leaving of russian federation from minsk agreement uh, because uh, putin doesn't want diplomacy
0: he certainly doesn't well look the very best of luck we're all ho- we're all rooting for you uh, that's Aleski Goncharenko, a leading ukrainian mp he's the mp for odessa So still many university students are being denied face-to-face teaching tuition two years after the pandemic began. Online still the order of the day in many. In today's Daily Mail, Professor Frank Faraday, author and Emeritus Professor of Sociology at the University of Kent, has written graphically about how British students are being cheated by universities, some of which are cash-rich after the pandemic. So cash-rich, the Russell Group of 24 leading universities has built up a surplus of two 0.2 0.2 billion pounds during the past two years. Professor Faradi joins me now. The word scandal is far too often bandied about, Professor, but it's a pretty galling for students to see, as they've been forced to have online tuition for best part of two years, how much money those universities have, have made on the back of them.
2: Yeah, I mean, you get the impression that students have become the extras yeah. in a drama. That's unfolding in the university where their role is to, you know, in a sense to show up now and again and then be told to stay indoors, to be tested and then tested again. And then when they ask, well, can we go to a seminar or a lecture? They're very often told, not yet, not now. Why don't you uh, uh, log on on your computer and have a Zoom lesson?
0: Yeah, and you, and you make the point. The spokesman for the Russell Group, which has made all this money, said that their members had worked hard to prioritise students and worked tirelessly throughout the pandemic. As you say, how could you answer that question with a straight face?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, as an academic, you know, our, my vocation is to cultivate the intellectual development of, of young people. And to do that, I need to be near them. I need to have physical contact with them. I need to watch their reaction. I need to be able to answer them back and argue with them. And that's not really possible by the kind of what they call blended learning that they've institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And I think that what they've done is they kind of essentially uh, cheated students by suggesting that this kind of hybrid learning is the equivalent of of real proper face-to-face teaching. They know full well that it isn't. And it seems to me that that dishonesty more than anything else is the one that galls me.
0: Who's to blame here? Is it the universities, the lecturers, the unions, or is it a mixture of all three?
2: Well, there are no uh, honourable mentions here because I think in the first instance, the universities have kind of adopted a, a business model for some time now, uh, even before the pandemic, where their priority is often in a very d- different direction than teaching students. So a lot of the money they've been spending in recent years has been built on building fancy administrative buildings, building all kinds of uh, other other buildings so that the university looks attractive uh, to people rather than actually focusing on what's going on in the classroom. And what they've done, and this happened even before the pandemic, is began a process of arguing that uh, what you need is, um, is online lectures rather than real lectures because online lectures are even better then the real lectures, it allows students to control the speed of the lecture. Uh, they, can, they can watch it whenever they feel like. And I think that kind of uh, digitalization of academic life has then accelerated in, in the pandemic, uh, mainly because of the administration. But then the, many lecturers have joined this uh, orientation, not because they think that online lectures are any good, but because it gives them an easier life, not to have to show up. Uh, all the time. And and for a lot of lecturers that I know, sitting in their digital bedroom is preferable to come out in the rain and and, and actually show up in a lecture hall.
0: You you make the point universities aren't profit-making bodies. So what on earth, how on earth and what are they going to do with £2.2 billion, which is a king's ransom by any stretch of the imagination? You make the point, shouldn't they be giving a big part of that back to the students?
2: well they should give students a rebate of course universities need to have reserves yeah Uh, that's 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 the norm and they need money for infrastructure various other investments but they do need to think seriously about giving students a rebate because to all intents and purposes students have been dispossessed of a very valuable experience they haven't had value for money on any on any account and uh, what's most important, and, and this is why I think they should be compensated, is that when students leave the university, they would have lost a very precious experience that often provides the foundation for their future, and instead of having that dynamic uh, social and academic interaction, They've been isolated and and forced to live, live, live a fragmented existence.
0: Just finally, you end your article in the mail today, Professor. Pretty apocalyptic language. You say you can't conceive of a greater catastrophe education. Lessons on the screen via the internet, they're passive. Little conversation, little exchange of ideas that's always made university electrifying. You say universities now are like, the campuses are like ghost towns. If you don't fight, they could become the graveyards of education. You would wonder why people would even bother to go to university if it's going to carry on like this?
2: Well, I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, I think it's very important uh, for for the nation to have dynamic universities with high academic standards. We need that kind of experience to, uh, in a sense, cultivate the ideals of intellectual independence, to cultivate uh, a kind of uh, intellectual uh, legacy for the rest of society, which at the moment isn't being done properly. And what I'm really concerned about is that if we have this uh, new model of education becoming the norm, and that's what a lot of universities want, then what, what will happen is that university be- will become a kind of institute of higher education or, or further education, that is perhaps a, a slightly more challenging version of, of doing our A-levels, but it's not really um, of a standard that you associate with an academically sound elite institution. And, and, and it seems to me that we have to really and a major rethink of what kind of system of higher education we want for British society.
0: Uh, well, well said. It's a very powerful piece, and thank you for joining us. That's Frank Faraday. He's the uh, leading author and emeritus professor of sociology at the University of Kent. So a strategic review into police in England and Wales has shown that the police are, quote, stuck in the past, and it's led to a major crisis of confidence among the public so michael barber who is chairman of the review and was a chief advisor on delivery uh, under tony blair's government is calling for fundamental reform of the way the police do their job he says they're hampered by outdated technology saying in the digital age it can build like a context contest between a Betamax police force and blockchain enabled Criminals. Blockchain, of course, is the technology underpinning cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. So, Michael Barber joins me now. So, Michael, um, we've seen what's happened in the Metropolitan Police. That's the most, the biggest, uh, most high-profile police force in the country. Cressida Dick uh, resigning because the mayor, effectively, the Police and Crime Commissioner, said he'd lost faith and confidence in her. But you're pretty much saying this is—it's a pretty similar story. As regards the public with policing throughout England and wales
3: yes there are big challenges andrew um i but before we go into that, I just want to say that there are many, many thousands of great hard working dedicated police officers doing sure. work good work every day for all of us, and we we just need to pay tribute to them, and yep. they find all this that the loss of confidence in the policing uh, as challenging as the rest of us so I just want to pay tribute to the many hard-working police officers around the country but yes there are there are big challenges the Met is in the eye of the storm uh, but some of these uh, cultural challenges and operational challenges uh, face policing right across the
0: country that's true. You talk about the National Police Computer you say it's nearly 50 years old an emblem of the past rather than the cutting edge tool of the present. How has it been allowed uh, Sir Michael to have um been allowed to drift for so long. When you see, when we see how far technology is advancing everywhere else.
3: Yes, I think I, I think um, successive governments. Um, so this is not a party political point at all. Uh, bear, bear responsibility for that, and police officers or police forces themselves, where they have looked. You know, there are 43 police forces in England and Wales. Uh, they have looked at different patterns of it, uh, but they they haven't really modernised the, the 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 technology, and that. So when we talk about capacity in our review, which will be published in March, uh, we don't just mean the extra 20,000 police officers, though those will be welcome. We, talk, we, we also mean the modernisation of technology, uh, because the criminal gangs are doing a great job of using modern technology and uh, the police need to be able to compete with them.
0: And of course, one of the big problems now, Sir Michael, and it's growing in, in, in severity and volume, it's online fraud, Uh, and you make the point that the vast majority of it goes undetected, and so people are literally getting away with it.
3: Yes, I mean, 40% of all crime now in this country is online fraud, and that might seem like a a victimless crime, but it's people losing their pensions, losing their savings. Uh, So it's a a big problem, Um, and anybody can see that the traditional Bobby on the Beat can't solve that problem. So we need to look at at, at ways of getting at that problem uh, of, of online fraud both through the providers of the services, the financial services, the tech companies, uh, and through um, making sure there's the national capacity to challenge that kind of uh, crime, because it can't be dealt with in a local police force when the criminal could be anywhere and the crime could be anywhere, uh, because it's all done through technology.
0: You, You highlight also the shocking failure in getting rapes even to court, that the prosecution rate, the successful prosecution rate is, in single figures, bad, bad on other sexual offences. And this is one of the areas where I know Cressida Dick was seen to have lost the confidence, particularly of women. She it's, can't, it's a huge shift. Yeah. Um, to, on the positive side, uh, before we come to the major problem, problem yeah.
3: is that more cases are being reported, and that sure. is a good thing. Uh, but it, but the, the clear-up rates are hopeless, uh, really poor, and it involves both the police and the Crown Prosecution Service uh, working much more effectively together to to get those uh, where where there's um, an arrest that becomes a a charge and is done effectively and efficiently. And at the moment in the past, there's been a tendency for the Crown Prosecution Service to blame the police and the police to blame the Crown Prosecution Service. They've got to get together and work on it. And I know the government has got some Uh, areas of the country where they're piloting much more effective collaboration and that started and that's that's a step in the right direction but it's something of great concern I know to the Attorney General and the the Police Minister Kit Malthouse.
0: I, I know this your report wasn't comparing police forces here with abroad but do we in your view have we fallen way behind in terms of public confidence in the ability of our police to look after us compared to mainland Europe the United States perhaps?
3: I think think we're still, um, and this is one of the things that we're emphasizing in our review, we're still an admired police force country because we have, right back since Robert Peel founded the Metropolitan Police in 1829, the idea of policing by consent. And that means the public uh, and the police having a good relationship uh, and basing our ability to tackle crime on that. That is um, threatened by the fall in confidence in the police in the last uh, few years. And that needs to be turned around. But actually, compared to large chunks of the United States, our, police forcing, our policing is admired. We have fewer police. We don't have lots of people with guns. We don't have some of the terrible incidents that we know have happened in the United mm. States. Other countries like Norway and Sweden uh, have gone to more centralized police forces, but they haven't necessarily been able to solve the problem. So in spite of everything, we have a very precious police force based on policing by consent. And what we're trying to argue is that for the next 20 to 30 years, we need to preserve that. And that means turning around this loss of confidence. It means tackling more crimes and getting more of them taken uh, from, um, through to prosecution and and charge and all that. So the the police need to do the basics right as well as tackle these uh, fairly well very shocking incidents like the one at Charing Cross police station so oh, it's terrible. partly a matter of tackling those but it's also a matter of doing the basics properly following up crimes taking them through to charge all the rest of it
0: just finally because I can know that people listening to this podcast will be saying ask him about Bobby's on the beat now is that old-fashioned policing Sir Michael I mean it's non-existent no. policing where I live because we never see a Bobby on the beat but it's is that true. still part of getting confidence back
3: Yes, it is absolute. Visibility of policing is important, yeah. and we will uh, we we are going to argue for that. It's welcome that the current government is uh, recruiting twenty thousand more police officers. They're on track to have those in post by the end of next year. That's very good news. We do need to see bobbies on the beat, um, and the re- the withdrawal from community policing during the year of austerity is one of the causes of a loss of confidence. So yes, bobbies on the beat is important, and they do they are vital to classic local crime, whether it's antisocial behavior, burglary, car crime, or so on. But beyond that, then there's online fraud and so on where the Bobby on the Beat is not the answer. So we're not saying do away with bobbies on the Beat and focus on these Mm -hmm. other things. We're saying get the bobbies on the Beat, get back up to the police numbers we had uh, 10 years or so ago, over 140,000 instead of 120,000. Make sure policing is visible, make sure they do tackle traditional crime, but then give further strength in technology and other skills to tackle these online challenges as well.
0: Very interesting. Well, it's a fascinating review and um, uh, and it's great to talk to you. That's Sir Michael Barber, who is chairman of that review, uh, strategic review into policing in England and Wales. Time now for our regular city update with Ruth Sunderland, group business editor at the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday. Oh, my, Ruth, it's getting worse, isn't it? Soaring oil prices. And I suppose we can thank President Putin for that.
4: Yeah, we absolutely can. So uh, what's happening at the moment, Andrew, is, um, as you know, President Putin is ramping up his aggression against Ukraine. And this is having a a predictable effect on international oil prices. So we're seeing the oil price go up towards $100 a barrel um, at the moment. That's the highest it's been for about seven years or so. Um, It's quite, you know, it it is quite alarming. And the big effect that it's likely to have here really um, is, is that we've already been having quite heavy inflation um, coming through and a lot of that has been linked to energy bills and this is only going to exacerbate this situation. So that's the biggest feed through that we're seeing at the moment into the UK. Fortunately for us, our banking system isn't that um, badly exposed to russia we've just put sanctions on now against um three oligarchs who probably most people haven't particularly heard of yeah. and a number of russian banks um so we're doing a bit at the moment but um it's really in these energy markets we've got as i said brent crude heading towards 100 dollars a barrel for the first time since 2014 that is really quite alarming um natural gas prices also soaring upwards and the international oil benchmark has gone up as well. So this is this is quite worrying for, for all of us. And um one of one of Russia's former um top politicians has been on Twitter taunting the West and saying, you know, welcome to higher energy prices, brace yourselves um unfortunately he's probably got a point
0: afraid he has it's going to get and it's going to get a lot worse for it gets better of course if the aggression halts and he's not going any further ruth i wonder how quickly oil prices will go down
4: well i think they will correct but i think what this really is um andrew is a big wake-up call isn't it and and the And the country that is most in need of this wake-up call, I'm afraid, is Germany. Now, they've said that they're not going to go ahead with the Nord Stream 2 um, pipeline, which is pumping gas through from Russia. Um, But they've allowed themselves to be very dependent on Russian energy supplies. So that gives Putin a lot of leverage. He's using energy. He's weaponizing energy, really. Um, Now, we are indirectly affected by this because, of course, it all filters through. You know, it means we have to pay more um, for our supplies on the global market. This is a real lesson that no country that can possibly help it should be making itself over dependent on despotic overseas regimes for their supplies of oil um, and their supplies of gas. You know, it's just not um, a very sustainable policy to pursue
0: at all. Quite right, Ruth, too. That's Ruth Sunderland, who is Group Business Editor at the Daily Mail and Mail on Sunday. Thanks as ever for joining us. So, new guidance from the Welsh Government has confirmed that from later in March, parents could be charged with get this, common assault and receive a criminal record if they physically punish their child. The guidance goes on to say the public should call the police or social services if they see or suspect a parent is smacking their child the law will cover smacking hitting slapping and shaking quotes anything where a child is punished using physical force so what should we make of this um the campaign group be reasonable has warned this guidance from the welsh government could lead to parents receiving a criminal record kieran kelly is a spokesman for be reasonable and he joins me now kieran i was just thinking um when i was introducing this item Um, If this law was around from Wales when I was growing up, I think the police would have been at my front door about three times a week because I wasn't the the best behaved child and my mother clumped me all the time.
5: Yeah, that's the sad truth. And would you have been uh, better off for those visits from the police? And would you have been better off? uh, Would your family have been better off for the potential of uh, her being hauled uh, down the station or... Um, before the courts to answer for something that um, families have done for generations um, and let 's let 's be clear about this. I know you understand this, but yes. there is just the world of difference between uh, abusing a child and the kind of situation uh, that you' that, that you 've talked about there. Your experience is the same experience of the overwhelming majority um, of families in the country an interesting an interesting little stat. Um, We've done polling a, a couple of times on this, and it's interesting how consistent the numbers are. 85% of people say uh, they were chastised uh, by their parents. 85%. So, if you believe this sort of myth that um, you know that this is this is closing down abuse, what you're really saying is 85% of parents child abusers 85 percent of us have been have been abused have been assaulted by parents and i think most reasonable uh common sense people realize uh, that that's just not the truth not the truth
0: also why do politicians think they know best how to bring up somebody else's children
5: <laughs> well that's it that's a great question it does seem to be and it varies from one jurisdiction to the other uh to another um that there's this desire to say uh, we know best. So Wales isn't unique in doing what it's done. Scotland uh, went first. Um, there's pressure to bring it in uh, in England uh, as well, certainly something similar. Thankfully, um, uh, with um, the second chamber in England, there's been a lot of pushback already. There's some some great speeches from peers like uh, uh, Claire Fox uh, uh, and others just making that that point what is it that uh why is it that uh, government uh, thinks that they can uh, run families or lead families or give guidance to families better than parents parents have been doing it perfectly well uh, there's always going to be the odd example someone can point to where uh, things aren't as they should be but for the overwhelming majority of families they know what they're doing they know where the lines are they don't need to be told how to how to deal
3: with their own children
0: And it's called the great thing called British common sense. I mean, I'm I'm an advocate of... um, I'm glad the government's getting rid of these COVID regulations because I think we can use our common sense. We don't need to keep being told uh, what we should and shouldn't do. But I'm just trying to think about this also, Kieran, from the police point of view, as if they Mm -hmm. don't have enough on their plate already without some meddling, nosy Parker neighbour keep getting on the phone, because it might happen, uh, saying, I think she's hit the child again. Do they have a duty then to go and investigate? if they don't investigate presumably there'd be a complaint i mean this could be a nightmare for the police whose resources are already badly stretched
5: yeah and it's not just the police is it because no. you're talking about social workers yeah. as well who are g- g- going to be getting involved they've got to make decisions uh, about potentially taking children away from their parents off off the back of this but but this is begun going to become a criminal offense andrew so you know what are the police, what are the police to do? Um, if, as, uh, the Welsh government would have it, uh, a smack on the uh, back of the legs, a tap on the back of the hand, cause that's what we're talking about. Um, if that is assault, then, uh, of course the police are duty bound to, to investigate. And now people will say, well, you know, discretion can be applied and these things won't end up in the courts. Um, but should it ever get to that stage? I mean, the trauma of of having uh, the police come round your house um, and essentially accuse you of child abuse uh, would be more than bad enough for most uh, families. And and we've got we've got to ask ourselves, with as you point out, with the police having so much to do and with social workers having so much to do already, and then you add on to that this pile of Complaints or people saying that something has happened or perhaps something has happened, and they 've got to wade through the extra mountains of these things what 's the result going to be we've got to we've got to appreciate that there's a very real risk that the genuine cases of abuse get missed and and there 's a certain inevitability uh, to that happening. You pile more and more work uh, on the, on these people something's going to get missed. Uh, and and um that's something we've got to be we've got to be really worried about and we are very worried about
0: were you ever smacked as a child
5: i was yeah occasionally yeah um uh my
0: uh um are you, are my, you still sporting was, the social are you still sporting the terrible psychological bruises um i'm
5: no i'm not no um my uh my uh mm-hmm. late mother went to her grave knowing uh uh how how um what a good job she'd done as a parent my father knows uh, what a good job he's done as a parent they were they would there was disciplinarians and if i uh gave cheek or i stepped out of line i could expect some of the time not all the time uh to to get a smack how much worse would it have been for me i just dread to think how much worse would it have been had the police been there carting me off um, because I'd had a
0: smack on the back of the legs, I, I just dread to think. I know. And what about your own children, Kieran? Do you ever do you ever give do you ever give them a smack on the back of the legs or on the hand? I, I,
3: I have a daughter.
5: Um, I don't now, um, but uh, it, it has been known. Um, right. But it went with an explanation. you see. Yeah. This is why. I mean, uh, most of the time that explanation is, is simple enough to do. No, you don't step out into the road yeah Uh, no you do stay away from from the cooker these are the real world ordinary family situations that parents are dealing with every day and now they face the prospect of police stepping in for doing what their parents have done and what their grandparents have done what families have done to generations it's
0: just wrong well good luck in fighting fighting the welsh government that's kieran kelly he's spokesman for be reasonable. The campaign group focused on stopping the smacking ban, on particularly stop making stopping it becoming a criminal offence. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5 p.m., you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pearce. This is the Andrew Pearce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night.